Welcome to Conservative Patriot Nation, new members and returning members. Tonight we have a very special guest with a very touching story, but a story that must be heard. And those that will be listening to this podcast, please share this story far and wide. Um, Stories like this, hopefully it reaches people that encourages people to come out and tell their stories of what happened to their loved ones. And you can always come to Telegram to Conservative Patriot Nation Network, and we will be more than happy to do a show with you so your story can be heard as well. And before we start the show, I would like to recognize a few of our sponsors, and it's Dr. Zelenko and ZStack, ZStack ZStack.com. He has made one in one pill form that will defeat any bioweapon that is put upon us. And he also has detox. He created detox for those that are now waking up to the vax, the vax, the vax. <laughs> I'm not even going to give it any more life than what it doesn't need. Um, and it will boost your immune system and it will take some of those toxicities out of your body. And the promo code for zstack.com is CPN, you'll get 5% off. And we also have partnered up with Mike Lindell and MyPillow.com. And if you go to MyPillow.com and type in CPNN, you'll get 66% off of your purchase. And last but not least, Dr. Stella Emanuel, someone that was told she's a conspiracy theorist. And we're learning that the conspiracy theorists are the ones that have been telling us the truth. And if you go to Dr. StellaMD.com, and that's DrStellaMD.com, and use promo code CPN, you'll get 5% off your purchase. And now, with further ado, I would like to introduce Stacy. And Stacy, I am going to give you the floor because it's very important that everybody hears your story. And thank you for joining us on Conservative Patriot Nation Network. Oh, well, thank you for having me. Um, uh, so my husband uh, went into Beaumont Hospital in Dearborn, Michigan, uh, feeling a little bit of uh, chest tightness. He had um, struggled with some pneumonia, um, and he his pulse ox was ranging between like 89 to 94 percent, so nothing uh, drastic, but just he was feeling nervous uh, that there was some chest tightness. And he wanted to get a jump start on possibly a steroid uh, shot and uh, given some oxygen. And we were picking up some meds for him that Monday, um, but he decided to go in a little bit early and thought he would uh, um, catch whatever it was early and get get whatever the hospital might uh, give him. And I was hesitant about it because I've heard all the nightmares about protocols. Um, and so, but at the time, you know, in our state, we really weren't hearing anything with the, them talking too much on the whole COVID cases anymore. Um, so I wasn't thinking it was going to be as uh, rough of a, of a battle to uh, have um, it be as dangerous as to put him in there. Uh, so I just, we just knew, make sure you say no to remdesivir, make sure you say no to event, um, because we just knew that those don't have very good outcomes. Uh, so in case I tried to turn it into a COVID thing and he went in and um, he told them no to remdesivir uh, and a no, no to event. He made sure he said, you know, if this turns anything bad that he wants to be resuscitated, um, all those things. And he made sure he texted it to me as well so that I knew. Uh, and I was talking to him and um, he said he was feeling better even after they gave him some oxygen. And, and just the other day when I was rereading some of his text messages to me, um, everything that happened from when he went in to like um, to his end of his stay there, uh, he was texting me and telling me like that he was uh, telling them no, he was feeling better. And then he said he woke up and there's an IV and he didn't even know that they put that in. Um, and we, I would assume now, as I start to go back through more medical records, that that's going to be the remdesivir. Uh, because when I was calling the hospital um, and asking them, you know, making sure that that's in his charts, no remdesivir, we don't want that. Uh, 
that, um, you know, they wouldn't give me a direct answer whether or not he was given it. And whenever I would talk to a nurse, um, they would tell me that, you know, they don't have those notes in front of them. It's not in his chart. They don't, they don't know. I had to talk to a doctor. Um, and then they had a, um, a new nurse answer the phone one day and I asked her, uh, I went with a different approach and I tried to pretend like I wanted him to have remdesivir uh, just so I could see if I could get a more honest answer. So when I got her on the phone, I said, well, I heard about this drug called remdesivir and it's uh, supposed to be a treatment for this COVID. I was wanting to see if that's something that might be an option for my husband, if he can get it if, or has he already been given it? And she said, oh, well, let me look in his chart. And then she said, oh, yeah, he, he got that as soon as he came in. Um, so we do know that that they had given it to him and he did not want that. And it was really hard to get a direct answer sometimes for my husband because he was in and out of uh, always saying he was feeling loopy or delusional um, because they were keeping him so heavily sedated with oxygen suppressants that I later learned. Um, and then uh, um, he started second week there. They started to push the vent. Um, even though my husband had, um, during that same day time without no oxygen on him and double face mask sitting in the hospital, talking about being put into a step down unit and being closer to coming home. Uh, he, he said he had one nurse telling him that, uh, he needed to go on a vent to give his body rest. Um, and he said, no way in hell am I going on a vent. Don't bring it up again. And he made sure that he texts that to me as well. Uh, and then I had a doctor calling me. Um, they had first called me at two in the morning to try to push me to get him to go on a vent. And he was, his oxygen was still in the normal range. Um, so I was saying absolutely not. Um, and then later he called me again, uh, close to 4 PM to tell me that, uh, he needed me to convince my husband to go on a vent. I said, no. And he said, well, to be honest with you, we told your husband that we're going to vent him with or without his consent. And when I told him that's illegal, he slammed the phone down on me and um, I couldn't get a hold of nobody at the hospital nor my husband after that. And um, then it, once I did hear back from him two hours later, he had told me that they vented him two hours ago. And when I got a hold of my husband's phone, once now allowed into the hospital, uh, prior to that, they would tell me um, that I wasn't allowed to go and see him, even though I've already had COVID and immune to it. Um, even though we're a husband and wife and live together, we've both been exposed again. Uh, they still didn't want me beside him. Uh, they told me that they don't allow nobody up onto a COVID floor. Uh, however, once he was vented and unable to speak for himself, then I could come up and spend 12 hours a day by his bedside. Uh, no PPE. I, they only asked that you wear a mask. And even then it was like some nurses would come in with them around their chin, you know, like some, <laughs> like some people wear them. Uh, so it, it, there was what changed between it being too dangerous for me to be up there as his advocate and to uh, only allowed to be up there beside him uh, once he can't speak for himself. Uh, so I get up there. And I get a hold of his phones finally. And um, the next day, after being able to charge his phones and see the communication that he had between everyone in the family and friends, coworkers, and myself, I put everything in a nice little timeline. And now, even comparing it with the medical records, I can see that his pulse ox was at a 98% when the when they vented him. Um, and uh, when I got up into his room. Um, that first day, and I still hadn't seen his text messages yet, uh, he actually opened his eyes for me, and I asked him if he could raise his eyebrows, and he did, and then I asked him um, if I could ask him some questions, and as I was even doing that, he was taking his tongue and putting it on his vent in his mouth, because they, they kept his vent down his mouth for the whole time that pretty much he was there for over 30 days, um, and they had, he felt the, the vent with his tongue, and then he shook his head no, and I hadn't seen all his text messages yet to even know that for sure that they had vented him when they never needed to. Uh, he was now trying to tell me, I know now, uh, days later, and then it was a battle to get him off of that vent, but I knew then that he did not consent. And he was trying to warn me that he didn't consent to that, which is really hard to know now. Um, and then, uh, so he, um, he t I asked him if I could ask him some questions. 
I said, Ryan, can you please raise your eyebrows up and yes and up for yes and down for no? Uh, and he raised them up. And then uh, the nurse heard me say that. And the nurse hurried up and rushed back to his monitor and started to up his sedation. And they made sure that he was never coming out of sedation ever again where he could have a conversation with me. Uh, so then there, that was the last time I was actually able to communicate with him. But I did get in and I love you. And I told him I was fighting for him. And he raised his eyebrows like he was saying it back and let me know he understood. Um, and then when I sat there by his bedside, I started to pay attention to his IV and uh, his um, everything that was on, that he was on. He was on dialysis continuously because remdesivir shut down his kidneys um, to 6% kidney function in nine days. Uh, so he was on kidney dialysis, dialysis full time. And he ended up um, uh, having um, all his, uh, just his IV stuff. There was nothing on there that was going to help him come off of this. I could see right away and asking, you know, what is he being given for his pneumonia? And they wouldn't look me in the eye. Uh, and when I asked, you know, why, what is he being given as a steroid to even help him? They had him for protocol. It's a six milligram steroid every 12 hours. I take over five times that up to every four hours for asthma. Um, so they had, uh, and, he, and he's a bigger guy, and especially after they shut down his kidneys, he started to retain a lot of fluid and, uh, you know, really getting a lot heavier. Um, and so I was like, this like small, like pediatric size dose isn't going to do anything. So I started to really press questions like, what is it he's on that's going to help him get better? And the nurse put her eyes down and said, well, nothing, but it's all we're allowed to give him uh, due to politics controlling our healthcare system. And so when I started to hear that over and over, um, I decided to come and uh, wear a camera so that I could record the conversations that were in there because I knew that I feared for my husband's life as I was trying to get him out of the hospital. I had to um, tell them that, you know, I wanted him to be moved to a trach because uh, every place that... Um, I asked about moving him so they would not take him unless he either had no vent or he had a trach put in. And so they uh, they refused to, to give him a trach. It was always an excuse for why they wouldn't do it at that time. Uh, so I think they knew that they were holding him hostage and they were trying to make sure that he died in their care. Um, and when I had, um, after hearing that nothing was going to help him, but that was all they're allowed to give him, I was... I, that's when I started to make sure I recorded some conversations in there. And I have a lot of healthcare workers uh, that had those conversations with me, um, even letting me know that they're not happy with the system. Um, but that doesn't make them any less guilty for giving meds that they know is going to do more harm than good. Uh, but I tried to stay calm and have friendly conversations with the workers there so that they would continue to like open up about the problems that are in there. And um, so, yeah, I do have a lot of uh, hidden camera footage um, that some people have seen, and this actually going to be given to um, a documentary coming out uh, later on this year, too. Um, and then um, I had another hot doctor come in and tell me, uh, it was a doctor suggested to me that they thought might try to help my husband get on a correct dose of steroids and maybe try ivermectin. Um, and they brought him in and I was sitting by my husband's bedside. I actually didn't expect to even see him that day. And he came in with two nurses beside him. And he had told me that he would love to give my husband ivermectin. He thinks it would help him. He even would love to give him a different steroid. Uh, but his hands are tied due to politics controlling the healthcare system. And he had to think of his livelihood and his paycheck first was what he told me. And I was so shocked that he said that out loud, even though I was, I was pretty much with that understanding from what the nurses were telling me. Uh, but to have the doctor actually come and say that right to my face while I'm sitting there beside my husband and, and fighting for his life. So I, I looked at the doctor and I told him, I said, well, this Christmas, I want you to picture me here beside my livelihood and begging you, a person who took an oath to do no harm, to put my husband's life above your paycheck and your livelihood. Um, and he just put his head down and, and shook, shook his head. And he went to go say something else. And I put my hand up like, I don't want to hear it. Just save it. 
Um, and I just told him he's going to have to stand before God one day for all these lives that he is letting um, go because he doesn't want to do the right thing um, and putting his paycheck first. And so then after um, that conversation, um, and, it, and I was even getting more heated because one of the nurses, well, one of the nurses was shaking her head yes in agreement and uh, like shocked over what she heard. Uh, the other one was rolling her eyes to everything I was saying to him. Like you could tell she just don't care. She's just there to follow orders. And, you know, anyone who's just trying to fight for anything different, you know, we're crazy. So, uh, which didn't help. So I, I got pretty heated and said a few things back to them and shamed them for not keeping their oath. And that resulted in the next day, a hospital administrator came in with the police officer and escorted me to a back room and uh, began to try to use blackmail to make me be quiet and to not fight against their protocols. They had told me that um, first that they didn't like my attitude in the hospital. I asked them what attitude was that. And I said, they said, well, you had a, a conversation with this doctor yesterday and I said, well, yeah. And I said, well, he's the one that told me that he had to think of his livelihood and his paycheck over my husband's life. Um, and her eyes got real big and she took some notes. And the officer's eyes got really big overhearing that. Uh, and then she tried to tell me that she had seen, a nurse had seen me going into other patients' rooms. And that was a safety violation in the hospital. And um, at first I was really defensive and told him that's crazy. Why would I ever do something like that? I'm not gonna jeopardize my husband's health. Uh, plus I don't know anyone else here. There's no reason for me to be do going into anyone else's room. Um, and as I went to go tell them to prove it, like let me see the tapes, that like that light bulb went off in my head, like wait a minute, there's cameras everywhere in here. Um, there's a camera inside my husband's room all down the hallway. You had to get buzzed into the ICU. Uh, so I knew that they were just saying, if you don't sit down and be quiet about our protocols, that's going to be our story. And that's going to prevent you from seeing your husband until we're done with him. Uh, so that's what they're, they were setting up. Uh, so then I knew uh, that I had a big battle ahead of me um, to try to uh, save his life. Uh, so I started making tons of calls and I called, um, the patient relations, uh, her name is Rhonda Jordan, and I called her and I asked her uh, if there's anything in their policy that says that a doctor cannot break protocol and give a patient something that they need instead. And she told me, no, that there is nothing in their policy that says that they can't and that there is nothing in their policy that says they can't give ivermectin and nothing, you know, about preventing any other kind of treatment, um, that it would be at the decision of the doctor. And so I, I said, so you're telling me if I find a doctor uh, willing to give anything else that they would allow it? And she said, yes, and they just had to be Beaumont affiliated, um, which other people have told me they'd never heard such a thing before, but that was what they told me. And I don't know if that was just to make my, uh, they thought it would make it harder for me to find someone to do the right thing. Um, but I ended up finding five doctors willing to do uh, break protocol. And I, the one main doctor um, who I never revealed his name just for his privacy, uh, but I did uh, talk to one doctor um, who told me that, you know, he was willing to do it as long as he knew he had support in the hospital. And uh, he also used to be, he used to specialize, I guess, in respiratory. So um, he was very familiar with the frontline doctors and, the, and uh, their findings. And he agreed with the ivermectin and he knew my husband was not nowhere near on a right steroid. Um, so he told me if I found someone that would back him up, and support that he'd be willing and then when I told him who I found he was really impressed with the people that were backing him up and um he said okay I'll go ahead and do this so the next day my, that doctor ordered 76 milligrams of ivermectin a higher dose steroid um he had him on high dose vitamin c d zinc vitamin b and some other things that he changed and we um, saw drastic improvements on the first night. First night, uh, his oxygen, uh, his blood oxygen was ranging between 61, 64%. And we got him back up to 100% by the end of that, that first day, uh, even before 24 hours were up. So he already drastically in, in, uh, improved. And he was starting to come off his vent very steadily. 
without having any resistance to um, dropping down the vent setting. Uh, and he was holding his own with his blood pressure and his heart rate. Everything was good first time since he's been there. And the doctor even said that, like, that's the best he's ever seen him, you know, since he's been vented. Um, and so then we thought we we're going in the right direction. The doctor was so impressed with the improvements that he was going to extend uh, his his order set of a five day course. He was going to do seven to 10 days, depending on how well Ryan kept responding. And uh, as we were on to the fourth dose, uh, two infectious disease doctors, the head of infectious disease, Dr. James Sundstrom and Dr. Hannah D. Das, uh, where uh, she's another infectious disease doctor. Both of those came up to his room and revoked his order that was given by the other doctor. And um, the Dr. Das had wrote in her uh, notes that they didn't accept veterinarian meds in the hospital, even though I have proof from the pharmacy that that was a human dose of ivermectin. And um, then she went and said that that goes against their policy, which we've already confirmed from various sources that there is nothing in their policy. So she lied and made false accusations for her reasoning to take my husband off of something that was working. And I did look into Dr. James Sundstrom and actually found that he is funded by Gilead. Uh, so is a company that pushes remdesivir. Um, so it might have been some motive, but that's just my opinion. Um, so then he, uh, they just kept him off of uh, what was working and they forced him back onto their, their COVID protocols that they admitted to me uh, that won't help him get better. Uh, and that we were basically just going to let him make the hospital money that uh, from, you know, the CARES Act and uh, they'll make the money and let him die. That's what, and I was just going to have to come to terms with that. Um, and then we had, in between all this, I had another nurse even come up to me uh, and tell me that room 17 uh, down the hall from me that they were actually suing the hospital for their right to use ivermectin. And I asked her, oh, how's that going? And she said, well, to be honest, she goes, the hospital told us nurses that we need to work to get them out faster. And I said, well, what, what does that mean, out faster? I said, is that out fast, getting them out faster alive or, or dead? And she, sh she shrugged her shoulders and just gave me a look like, you didn't hear it from me, um, as she walked away. And that just haunted me because I was like, oh, my gosh, you know, are they gonna, what are they going to try to pull if I keep fighting? Um, and much later, uh, I did end up, funny enough, coming to meet Room 17 uh, because they had a, a mutual doctor as me, and uh, I went to their funeral. It was a husband and wife that had passed away in the hospital, and um, they I went to their funeral, and that's how I found out that they were Room 17. So that that was just like a weird thing that happened. Um, but then my husband, my husband started to decline once they had revoked his orders, and um, within like two days, he started to go back downhill, and he started to go through a cytokine storm. Uh, so he was not doing well, and the the doctor who was fighting for him went to bat again, put him back on the same uh, helpful medications, put him on a steroid nine times the strength of anything he was ever given. And we brought him through that night. I remember we all thought we were going to lose him that night. It was so bad. I came into the room and found him sweating profusely and his oxygen dropping drastically. And um, that, and nobody, nobody in that hospital told me that he was going through a cytokine storm. It was the doctor uh, that was fighting for him that told me what was happening. And that doctor went to bat to save him. Everyone else was just going to let him go that night. Um, so he put him on what he needed, brought him through that. He recovered and made it through the night, got him his oxygen back up into the 90s. And, um, and then uh, as he was starting to recover, I went home for four hours to go feed my pets because I had already been at the hospital uh, for a long length of time. And, and uh, so I needed to go back to and feed my pets. Uh, it was like over 17 hours there. And so I went home, uh, fed my pets. And as I was coming back, uh, I got the phone call from that doctor that was fighting for him to let me know that his, uh, his meds were being revoked again. Uh, this time it was Dr. Kierbeck in ICU. He, uh, 
he actually um, revoked his meds and um, said that that steroid is not protocol so that he was going to take him off of it. And the doctor fighting for him warned him. He said, if you take him off of this steroid, you're going to kill him. And he said the doctor just shrugged his you know, shoulders and acted like, yeah, I have to just think of myself and, and this and my paycheck and this isn't our protocol. I'm breaking orders. Uh, so they took him off of the steroid cold turkey. And the doctor who was fighting for him told me that he was so stressed out that he was actually going to a class uh, afterwards. And he said his heart wouldn't stop racing. He couldn't stop thinking about my husband and fearful for his safety because he warned him, if you do this, we're going to lose Ryan. And he even said to him, shouldn't, it shouldn't be about us and what, um, what is best for our paychecks or our policies. And we should be both on the same page and what's best for Ryan. Uh, and that doctor wasn't about that. So only one was, um, so I guess apparently what happened after that was um, the chief of staff got involved and he got involved more than once for us and went to bat for my husband more than once. Uh, but the chief of staff got involved and because I had contacted him too. And I told him I wanted Kierbeck removed off my husband's case immediately and not to be allowed into his room because I feared for my husband's life. Um, and so uh, that chief of staff had contacted Kierbeck and told him to uh, that whatever he might have said to him, he got him to concede off my husband's case. And they went a step further. I later found out and they made the good doctor fighting for him head of ICU starting that following week as a last ditch effort to try to save my husband against the hospital. Uh, and from those who just simply obey orders. Uh, so they had put him as head of ICU. So it would be his own team and his own staff uh, working on my husband. And, um, I got the call Sunday night into uh, Monday morning from the good doctor telling me that I needed to come up to the hospital quickly, that we were losing Ryan, that he thought we were losing Ryan. And so I made, I hurried up and uh, called his parents and we all rushed up to the hospital. Uh, and that Sunday night, that hospital had maxed my husband out on everything and looking at his medical records, they started to double the dosages of fentanyl and propofol. Uh, all the other things that were just very lethal. Um, they were giving him more of it and more frequent, frequently. Um, and so uh, I think it, you know, it appears to be a last ditch effort to keep him out of the good doctor's hands that might potentially save him. Um, so when I got there, uh, I see new staff working on my husband. They were emergency proning him. So they're flipping him to his stomach to try to get his numbers back up. And he wasn't responding well to that. And so they had to just put him back on his back where he was at least uh, dropping slower than, uh, than when they tried to prone him. Uh, usually he responded well to proning and this time he didn't. Uh, so, and I could just see, normally they have, nurses have really good poker faces that you can't read. <laughs> and so you're always wondering if it's a bad situation or not. Um, and that time they all looked scared and I could see it. I could see like the defeat in them from that hospital and what they were doing. And it was new people that was working on them. So I, I didn't know who they were. And I can remember one doctor came up to me and he said, I'm on the good doctor's team. I just want you to know that, that I'm on team Ryan. And I agree with everything that that good doctor has done so far. I say good doctor, just to not say his name, but uh, he goes, I was just on that team's, uh, that doctor's team and uh, I'm on your team and fighting for Ryan and I support everything that he's done so far. And I just want you to know that. And I've been so, um, I've had so much trust issues in that hospital when I was there that I didn't know whether to believe it. So I looked at this one nurse that was there. There was one male nurse that was really nice and actually a little bit different than the rest of them. And he was always one to try to be upfront and honest with me. And he always made sure to take extra care of my husband. And I made eye contact with him for reassurance that this guy wasn't lying to me. And I can remember like he, he smiled and nodded yes, um, just to let me know that that was true. And, uh, um, they tried to like save him. And when I finally met up with the good doctor, he came into the room and he sat down with us and he cried. And he told us that he told me that he, he would honor Ryan's wishes about being revived if uh, he was to code. 
Um, but he did tell me that it would just be prolonging his death and not his life because he told me Ryan was already gone. And I could see it. I could see his skin turning different color and I could tell that he was gone, but I didn't want to believe it. And I kept trying to hang on to like some hope that we could reverse this um, because we were so close with getting the right doctor um, to step up and be able to save him. Um, and Ryan had already been there. I think he was going on like six weeks, um, six or seven weeks at that point. He was there quite a while. Uh, and uh, so then, um, I played my wedding song, our wedding song. I played our wedding song again one more time for him. I put it on his chest and uh, played that. And I, I told him to go home and be with Jesus and to watch over us. And I told him that my fight was not going to be done, that I was going to help expose this. And I was going to shout it to whoever, whoever would listen and tried to fight to get justice for him because they stole so much from us. Um, the doctor that fought for us cried with us. He told me that this battle goes way much deeper than the hospital. And he says that he was so sorry that we had so much resistance on saving his life. And that if he would have just known me sooner that we could have started this sooner, but uh, it was, you know, your every day was a new battle in there, and um, we just didn't know. We just I I tried trying somebody to do the right thing, and it just took so long. And we were at five weeks in by the time I found uh, the doctor who could try to help me. Um, but they took they took away my. My best friend, he was only 41 years old. He had just started his own business. And um, we've been together since we were 15. We met in a private Christian school. And we've been together so 25 years, so over half my life with one person. And married for 13. And we talked about trying to have kids this summer, but now that won't ever happen. And we just need, we need people to start standing up. We need these healthcare heroes to start speaking out and telling people what's happening from behind those closed doors. Um, they took an oath and they're forgetting this and everyone is putting their paychecks before human lives. Um, so we need people to start standing up and start speaking out. And we need more for the victims to even start speaking out just so that we can get uh, get justice for this. Um, I mean, everyone, a lot of people that have seen on the, the uh, evidence that I have, so this is a clear case of murder, um, and that there's no uh, immunity uh, for that. They, they, they cannot be held, like, not not held liable for taking a human life when they knew what they're revoking was working and putting him on something that they knew was he was not going to get well to and saying that they're just not allowed to give it to him. That shows that there's something harming these people. There, It's not uh, that there just isn't anything available. They're not allowed to give them anything that, that could be available to help them or they're being prevented from doing such a thing because it's about money and it's not about human lives. So, but uh, that would pretty much be my whole story. Yeah, um, <clears throat> that's very touching. Um, so, like I said, my admin for the win was at the event in Appleton, and he was live streaming it, and we were all watching it. Well, I was actually working, so I was listening, and, and your story really brought a lot of tears to my eyes, um, and I'm trying to hold back tears now. For the simple fact that <clears throat> I have an aunt um, that's like a mother to me, and well, she's a second mother to me, and uh, a similar story took place. And I know my cousins aren't aren't aware and aren't educated to, to really understand what's what's really taking place in these hospitals. Um, so I totally relate it. And then before 
COVID went mainstream, I got really sick and I was sick for about a month and a half, two months. And like I was barking, coughing. And my daughter's going to school to be a PA and she was listening to my breathing and she's like, Dad, you uh you need to go to the hospital. But for some reason, and like I said, this is before it went mainstream. I, I told my daughter and my wife, I'm like, no. Like something something inside me told me that, which when I was listening to your story, I says, you know, I, I could have been your husband. Um, because that was that was like early on, you know, and yeah. my heart goes out to you. I send so many prayers to you for uh, a healing in your spirit. I know how that is when you're spending so much time with a person. Me and my wife met each other when we were teenagers. And um, it, it, it makes me angry, but I know it makes a lot of us angry. But we have to turn that anger into positive energy to where we defeat these evil people because it's just pure evil. And we know at some point God is going to bring justice to them. Um, so I want to let you know you are an admin in this group now. Whatever you need to share, if you need to come on here and uh, clear your mind and enjoy a great conversation on chats or whatever, this group is totally open to you. It doesn't matter what time of day it is, what time of night. Sometimes the admins are on here till midnight, one o'clock. We were on till midnight last night. We had uh, some speakers. We had six speakers last night. So I just want to let you know we're here for you. You ever need anything, just reach out. And um, I appreciate that you're coming on here and, and giving your story because these stories need to be heard. I know this is going to be uploaded to our podcast. I ask anyone that is listening to this, please share this far and wide. Share it. Everyone that's on here right now, when it's uploaded, share this story because this is how we're going to make a breakthrough if we can get this traveled far and wide throughout the world. You know, not only just our country, but the world. And like I said, I appreciate you. And um, if you're ready for Q&A, we can go into Q&A now. Yeah, that's fine. If anyone has a question for Stacy, if you press the middle blue button, it'll show your hand being raised, and then we can call you in order. And uh, if an admin has uh, a question for her, go ahead. Hi, how are you? I'm Kelly. Um, Hi. Your story touched me. Oh, my goodness. I'm so sorry. Sorry doesn't, you know, I get tired of saying sorry because it doesn't do much but um i am sorry but my question for you is a few simple questions uh where are you located wisconsin i guess i'm kind of answering my question <laughs> <laughs> no no i'm like i was it was a seven hour drive to get to appleton um i am actually uh, uh closer to uh, dearborn michigan Oh, I have family so, in Michigan, so. like Cadillac, and then my ex-husband's from Port Huron. Okay, yep, yeah, yep. Yeah. They're like about, man, about 45 minutes to an hour, maybe, uh, from there. It's so not too far. So we're, okay. we're close to, to Detroit, like close to the thumb. <laughs> well, I'm really sorry. I have a question about, also, do you have a lawyer or anything? Like, I know it can't bring your husband back, and it's not even about the money, just the power, man, of fighting. Like, do you have anything, like? legal going on you're saying or um we i do have one attorney that's interested in uh taking this on uh but he is looking for a another attorney in michigan uh that's willing to fight uh with him um and so we're we're still looking for the right one uh to step up to the plate in michigan that that we like to work with and one last question did this happen um early 2020 when it first came out covid no, this was, uh, this was, uh, he went in November, uh, mid-November of, uh, 21, and now he, oh, wow. he died January 3rd. Oh, bless your heart. I'm so sorry. I mean, oh, my mom had, um, COVID and she, uh, got the vaccine shot and, um, 
I won't go into details, but she she luckily made it. She oh. had blood clots and stuff, and um, yeah. So I mean, a lot of people aren't making it out of course, and I, I'm really sorry. You know, that's all I can say. You're in my prayers, and um, I just had to talk to you. My heart renovates with you, and we're here for you. Like Mike said, um, jump on the chat anytime. You know, we talk about various subjects or if you just have like a down day or anything going on, that's what I do and others do. And we'll lift you up the best oh, we can. You. I mean, we're a great support system. I'm not just saying that there, I will, we'll be your friend. We'll be here for you. So thank you for sharing your story and I'll pass the mic on to Mike again. Thank you. Yeah. And like I said, just, Kind of like what Kelly was saying, um, you are an admin here. So whenever, you know, I know how it is. I, I lost a father when I was 18 and I lost a younger brother, which was my nephew. And he was only 14 years old. And I lived in a, a really mental prison in my own mind. And I know how it is. So um, conversation is really great um exercises and, and it helps you know it doesn't it doesn't take away the loss but it does help so this group is is 100 open to you and like i said never never uh feel like you're a burden or anything um because okay. we all can use a shoulder and an ear and if any other members have a question if you press the middle button we can uh call on you it'll show us your hands being raised and uh, nobody's got their hands raised. Um, if JW have a question. Yes, I do. Hi, Stacy. Thank you for being Hi. here. Hi. I, and I'm, I'm so sorry. I mean, uh, and you know, I can't even express enough how sorry I am for what you went through, not only the loss of your husband. But um, I have a question about the good doctor. Mm -hmm. Do you happen to know, like, if he's still working there or if he got, rep you know, did he get, did they fire him? Or I'm just curious if you have any information about that. Yeah, I actually stay uh, in touch with him. Um, he, uh, he did even come to my husband's funeral. Um, and he had told us there that the hospital administrators uh, had a meeting with him uh, following everything that happened to tell him that this would not be allowed to happen again. Uh, so they tried to let him know that like he wasn't going to be allowed to try to give what he thought was right and try to save a patient, um, that they were going to put a stop to that. Uh, and the doctors who had fought to revoke my husband's orders that were working, um, they, they kind of became almost like a bully towards him, trying to get him removed from the positions that he's in. And the chief medical officer actually went to bat for the good doctor to keep him in his positions that he is in at the hospital. Uh, so even the chief medical officer, as well as the chief of staff, supported what he was doing. If that don't say everything as to uh, how strong of a med and how effective that was to helping my husband and how messed up our hospital systems are. Yeah, thank you. Um, I mean, I just, I'm happy you at least had one good doctor. Or I shouldn't say it's he had someone that was trying to help. Yeah, yeah. And he's, uh, he's actually stays in contact with me and telling me, you know, let me know if, when, you know, even the documentary comes out because I told him about uh, some other work that I was doing and trying to expose this. And he just said, good for you. So, so yeah, he's well aware and he knows that that's a bad system and what we got and uh, that. Uh, most doctors are just following order versus doing what's right for a patient. Uh, Stacy, I want to ask you, you were talking that, you know, they were trying to pretty pin something on you that you weren't doing, allegedly, of going in other patients' rooms. Do you remember the day that they were saying you were trying to go in other patients' rooms? I do have it documented. Um, I don't know it offhand without looking at my notes, but I did document that that day so that I would have that. Um, and uh, I would assume that they also have records on their end since they had to bring in a, uh, one of their police officers to come in with them. <laughs> I assume as a witness slash intimidation. <laughs> um, but they, uh, it was just me, the officer, and the hospital administrator. 
uh, and they, they actually pulled me from my husband's room and took me into a back room down the hall, but I did document that happening. Awesome. What I would do before we get to our next member to um, ask a question, I would probably follow FOIA for that date for camera footage. Yeah, that'd be a good idea. Um, and Candace, you are up. And if anyone else has a question, if you press that middle button, we can call upon you. Uh, yes, I have got a question. I did happen to record it. Um, I've actually uh, on my cell phone. Um, do you mind if I put this on uh, my Facebook page? I have a page as a small person. Uh, with a huge voice, and I also have a podcast. I'm asking your permission. Sure. Yeah, that would be fine. All right. And we will go to Julia. Julia, you're up. First, I want to tell you that I'm really sorry for what you've gone through. I've been following your story. I knew something was wrong in 2020 when a friend of mine went in the hospital and they drugged her on the way to the hospital. Mm -hmm. And uh, she was so out of it. It scared me. It scared me so bad. I knew that something was very wrong. And I called the hospital and I said, please um, know that there's going to be people calling daily and checking in on her. I think this was before they got more brazen and it was early. And I was lucky that I got a very naive nurse who was kind of scared and intimidated a little bit. She sounded young. Mm -hmm. um, and she ended up getting released four days later, but they wanted to put her on a ventilator. I found that out after probably months after we grew up together and I knew her a long time. And then from then on, I started following these stories. And I said, I know I'm not crazy. I know they're trying to kill people in these hospitals. And it's premeditated, in my opinion, because who gives sedative drugs to a patient who comes in with compromised lungs in any way, whether it's pneumonia or uh, another reason? Who yeah. would give them sedation? Because the sedation weakens them weakens their lungs further and then when they give them the remdesivir that causes them to fill up with fluid and the combination of those two i i know just from just basic common sense and some very basic medical knowledge that that is a lethal combination for a patient and um this stuff bothers me i wake up thinking about it go to bed thinking about it I don't know anybody personally that this happened to other than it almost happened to my friend D and then one person, my husband knows from his, you know, from his job, um, a nurse, she wasn't vaccinated. They wanted to make her an example out of her mm -hmm. and they tortured her from October of about the same time your husband was in from October until I think sometime in January she died and it just eats at my heart and soul that they're doing this. There's prisoners, there's prisoners that are, you know, like terrorist prisoners that are treated better than what they're doing to these patients. And it's so criminal. So I guess my question is, is has anybody like heard of like criminal charges or like anybody contacting like U.S. attorneys in the states or in, in particular states or um, attorney generals or anything like that? Um, I have only heard that there are some other states starting to get uh, attorneys. I don't know if they're criminal attorneys, but I have heard of uh, uh, some states like California, shocking enough, California, wow. I think it was it Florida, New Jersey, maybe? I think they're the ones that were starting to get more attorneys uh, stepping up. Lisa, I know of. Um, okay, Doctor, you're familiar with Doctor Peter McCullough. Mm -hmm. Yeah. You follow you follow the doctors like Malone, McCullough, um, 
uh, uh, Dr. Ryan uh, Cole, I think, cool. and and then Fleming, Dr. Richard Fleming, I think, is going after some legal stuff, um, uh, crimes against humanity. Yeah. But I don't know if it's just targeted to what the vaccines have done to people or the hospital protocols. But I wish I knew a way to get in touch with him to offer support or do anything on my end that I can do. I'm not afraid to call AGs or um, uh, U.S. attorneys because I've done it for other reasons on other, you know, mm -hmm. uh, thing, crimes against humanity of a different sort with kids, against kids. And I just think what is happening is so horrendously cruel. It is beyond, I mean, I, in my opinion, I think it's premeditated murder. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. So, you know, again, I just want to give you, you know, my support and, you know, my apologies for what you're dealing with. This touches me very deeply watching what these people are going through and this nurse that we knew, my husband knew. It was just... It makes me feel like going there and and getting in their face. I mean, I it it, it really drives me mad. So you know, good for you for you know taking your anger and and your sadness and turning it into power. And I'm I'm really proud of you. Thank you. And uh, we had when we had Dr. Artis on, you did get in. Did you ever get in contact with the lawyer number that he gave you, Stacy? Uh, not yet, not yet, no. Okay. All right, and with that, we have Kevin Scotts up. Hey there, Stacy. It's Kevin. Hey. Hey, I just wanted to to say thank you for continuing <laughs> this conversation that is so difficult to keep repeating. And I have the utmost respect for you and admire you so much. Um, I wanted to give you some encouragement. Um, recently, my wife and I discovered this book called Imagine Heaven. And I'm going to see you on Saturday, and I'm going to have a copy for you. Um, OK. So you don't have to rush out and get it. I'll have it for you. But I wanted to read you a part here. This book is about um, research that was done into people who had near-death experiences. And all their stories are remarkably similar, no matter their background, no matter their country. They all see the same things on the other side. Um, just the beauty and the peace and serenity and light that comes from from blades of grass and leaves, everything has light and love. That's the biggest thing that they feel. Um, but of course, the question is, why do bad things happen to people here on Earth? And something the book says here, this is based on one of the, uh, there was a doctor who died um, for a short while, he came back, of course, and he was telling his experience. And he said, without free will, evil is impossible. But without free will, humans cannot grow or move forward. Without free will, there is no opportunity for us to grow into what God yearns for us to be. The creator allows evil to exist as a necessary consequence of the gift of free will. But he adds, free will comes at the cost of a loss or falling away from God's love and acceptance. And that's what's happened here. You know, this, the evil that happened is because we've all fallen away from God. That is not to say that your husband died because he fell away from God. It is, it's to say that humankind and the evil that we're seeing today is a direct consequence of having no relation with him and not following him. And it's tragic that this is happening to people who, who don't deserve this to happen to them. And yeah, that, I just wanted to share that with you. There are so many beautiful stories in this book and I hope it'll comfort you because Ryan is somewhere where if he had a choice now, he, he wouldn't want to come back. I, I can almost guarantee, and that has nothing to do with you, of course. It's the beauty and what lies ahead um, is, is so much better than anything here on earth. So 
you're going to be reunited with Ryan. I know that. And keep up the work that you're doing. And I look forward to seeing you on Saturday. In okay, sounds good. Thank you. Do we have another admin that uh, has a question or would like to say something to Stacy? Hey, Mike, I could go. Go ahead for the win. Hey, Stacy, appreciate you coming on our chat. Um, your story is really powerful. I was there in Appleton that day. Um, I think it's a lot warmer today, at least for you than that day. Yeah. But, you know, it was a lot of fun that we had that many people out there that day, though, because it is important and that, you know, yep. people need to hear it. So, so hang in there. I appreciate it. And um, thank you. Thank you. Does any other member have a question? If you press the middle button, we can call upon you. And I'm going to stress it out again and say more and more, Stacy. Uh, this group is totally open to you. Um, I did set you as an admin, share whatever information that needs to be shared. Um, there's so much information going on the wall daily. A lot of people look at it. So your videos will be seen and it will be shared as well. So don't hesitate to utilize this, this platform. Okay, sounds good. And it looks like we're out of questions and we're almost to the hour mark. Um, I know it's been very emotional. I really don't want to keep you. Um, I definitely would love to bring you back, though, um, because the story, even like Scott Sherrill, like those stories, I would love to bring you both on here. Um, mm -hmm. These stories have to be heard, you know. As much as people want to share information on the poisons and um, articles, we need to be sharing stories like this. You know, we need to be sharing real human testimonies on what's happening to our loved ones you know and i like i said i i lost an aunt um with a very similar story and i can guarantee they gave her redemzavir which um it, it, it's sad you know um yeah. but just like just like kevin said <laughs> i guarantee you they don't even want to come back because they're going to a better place you know, I know we hear that all the time, and it's it's hard for us to fam of that because we can't see, but they are definitely in a better place. You know, especially mm -hmm. if they've been murdered, um, that's that's a free ticket to a better place. Yeah. So I, I really want to thank you. Oh, we've got a another question. I'm um, sorry about sure. that. <laughs> sure. Dolphin smile. You are up. Hey. Um. My mom uh, was on chemotherapy and they had just come out with these vaccinations and they had the, all the COVID masking and everything going on. And um, they told her she was just getting a regular flu shot and they gave her a flu shot while she was on chemo and radiation, which is... Uh, contraindicated according to the nurse at the rehab that I went to and then after so many months went by they wouldn't even let me see my mother because I I used to be a nurse's aide a long time ago I know what to do and it frustrated me so bad that I had to stand at the window and look at my mom and she had a stroke right after she had a dialysis treatment because her kidneys shut down Ugh. and i don't i haven't seen the records because i you know know that rendesivir is something that you mentioned mm -hmm. um it's hard for me to talk about it um now i'm going through the same thing with my friend kathy her um Son-in-law is in the hospital on a ventilator after the third shot. He is a fire chief in uh, mm -hmm. Rockingham, North Carolina. And um, 
You know, both of her kids took all three, and one's losing her hair and was in the hospital for a month. The other one's having a period every other day. So this is not ending. It's not ending soon enough for me, okay? And I'm going to support her no matter what, and I support you no matter what, and everybody else on this chat. And um, I had to fight to get in the hospital because they were telling me that I couldn't even get in. And mm -hmm. um, I know what the laws are because I worked in the field, you know. Um, mm -hmm. So I had to ask for the director of nursing. And I, the doctor in the hallway, I told him, I said, you know, my mom was a nurse for 50 years and I worked in nursing homes. and. Um, She'd had a total stroke at the time on the whole uh, left side. And um, I stood there in the hallway with him and I said, let me tell you something. You're not gonna send my mom to long-term rehab and she's gonna lay in a jerry chair with her mouth hanging open, staring at the ceiling. That's not gonna happen. And you need to write a hospice order as soon as you can. And um, I had to raise hell, I had to stand there I had to face them and um, it was the hardest thing I ever did because um, I knew this was not her wishes and yeah. um, I knew my right as her legal advocate and um, that very same day after I fought to get in the hospital I had to fight to get in there then the palliative care doctor came you know um, they were trying to tell me that my mom didn't want hospice and my mom couldn't remember anything. And I mm -hmm. said, let me assess her for alert and oriented status. I told her what hospice was. And then 10 minutes later, I asked her again. And she says, I don't know too much about it. And this is a nurse. A nurse should know about what hospice is, right? Yeah. Um, the, you know, I, so, I guess the question I'm asking you right now is you're collecting lawyers. Is that right? Yes. Trying to. Yep. Okay. Um, and will you just kind of keep us posted about how you're going about doing that? I, I haven't even cracked open what medical records my mom has right now. Um, I'm still sort of trying to survive out here doing my work and everything like that and just trying to manage my finances i'm just buried alive with that basically um, it's a lot when somebody dies you have to take care of all their business right yep um i'm just here to provide support too and if you could keep us posted on this chat about you know, what's going on and how you're going about doing it, coming back on and telling us how you're doing it, then okay. maybe that would help us to be able to do it ourselves, you know? Right. And, uh, yep, I'd be fine. I could do that. What bummed me out was that my mom was making progress, okay? She had a big tumor on her back and uh, she was with the physical therapist. She was doing leg lifts and everything. She was making progress. And see, when she went in to get her radiation treatment, they had made an announcement over the speaker about this flu shot, okay? Mm -hmm. And they wouldn't let me back there because they wanted to limit the amount of people that are congregating in one area, okay? Mm -hmm. And that pissed me off because I would have never, tried not to raise my voice, but I would have never allowed those motherfuckers to give my mom a flu shot okay ever on chemotherapy on chemotherapy and i'm sorry i got upset y'all and um i'm i'm pissed i'm pissed at the medical system i have ivermectin in my closet and um, i'm real careful and i try not to hurt myself because i sure as hell don't want a blood transfusion yeah. And uh, I'm, I'm still blessed that I didn't take the shot. I'm still blessed. And my best friend, Thomas, he's gay. I love him to death. He didn't take the shot. My best friend, Kathy, didn't take the shot. But her whole family took the shot. And they're all effed up. 
And so, I mean, Dr. Lazenko said people were going to be dying. And he wasn't kidding. He was not kidding. Just because I don't see him falling out in the street doesn't mean they're not dying. And uh, my heart goes out to you. And um, I fought as much as I could. Um, but if you could just keep us posted on how you're going about doing this, that would be very helpful. Thank you. Thank you. I will. And like I said, Stacy, I really appreciate you coming on. Um, don't be a stranger. This group is definitely open to you. And I'm definitely looking forward to bringing you back on. Um, and I definitely have a friend that uh, has a well-viewed show. I will be connecting you with her as well. Okay, I appreciate that. Thank you again. And uh, we're going to win, Thank you know. You. We're going to win. Time. It's all in God's timing. Absolutely. Thank you, Stacey. Have a good night. Thank you, too.